This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Close to 21 years ago, a Cordon Bleu trained chef and businesswoman, Jane Scotter, left a busy city life and bought a farm. She was joined not long after by another professional chef, Harry Astley. Together, the two have taken their 16 idyllic acres in Herefordshire, England, and crafted a life fully integrated and interdependent with the land, its plants and animals, their food, and their own sense of purpose. Their farm, Fern Vero, is not just any farm. It's a biodynamic farm, and in 2015, Jane and Harry, with the photographic assistance of Tessa Traeger, produced a lushly recipied and photographed account of their journey and its richly depicted hows and whys. As we near May Day, that universal and ancient celebration of land and regrowth, Jane and Harry join us today via Skype from Fern Vero to share more. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. So, Jane, you're both from this world of food and cooking, seemingly pretty urban to a large extent. What force originally compelled you to farm in the country? My business, my previous business, was with Neil's Yard Dairy, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, famous cheese shop. Uh, in uh, London. I had a pretty good connection with farms. We used to travel around the country collecting and tasting and uh, looking at farms and getting to know cheesemakers really well. I liked the countryside. I can remember walking down a street going to collect my children from a school from school in Soho, which is uh, right in the center of, of London, and thinking that city life was just getting a bit too much and that I would like to go to the country. I mean, it was just like that. And then literally a year later, I was in the country. And coming here, we thought we would like to earn our living from the land and to grow beautiful food uh, and to you know cook it really fresh. And it's this part of the world that I was really attracted to whilst I was at Neil's Yard and I used to come on holiday here and I loved it because it was very unspoiled. The connection with the land really came when I started producing the food biodynamically. That's when it all kind of made sense. Tell us a little bit about Fern Vero. What does the name mean and describe it visually for listeners? Where we're situated is just about four miles east of the Welsh border in an area just uh, below the Black Mountains um, and close to the Brecon Beacons. The name Vero derives from an old French term because in 1066, when the Normans invaded, in the years following that, they spent a lot of time building castles and and organising these Welsh marches, which we live in, which is this area that skirts along the edge of Wales for about a 150-mile stretch they had to deal with these rather fierce, wild Welshmen uh, from over the hills. So this area that we're in, there's quite a few place names around the place that that have origins from France. So uh, Vero means um, a split in the land where there's water flowing around it. The mountains are about four miles away and 
we're in the foothills a bit lower down, mm-hmm. um, about 800 feet above sea level we are, and, and we're in a little sheltered little depression in the hillside. Mm-hmm. And we've got a spring which bubbles out of the ground just on one side of the little farmhouse that we live in. And on the other side, there's a couple of streams that flow from the hillsides above. So we're kind of in a, in a sheltered arc and we can see out eastwards that way uh, to about 50 miles away there are the Malvern Hills. We are about halfway down the hillside here in our house. It's pretty much in the middle of the farm. We're, we're in a very hilly area. Uh, there's very little flat ground. Everything is sort of terraced into little patches that are relatively flat. And then we've planted uh, fruit trees and hedges around the place to, to sort of retain these hillsides. And above us, looking up the hill, we've got a cow barn at the top of the hill. It's our five cows. They're Hereford cows with beautiful brown and, and white um, coats. Myers Field is the field that they're in, and we've got nine acres on the farm. Down the lane, about half a mile away, uh, we, we own another six acres of land, and that is in the form of three large uh, open fields, um, which are not so sheltered as we have it here on the farm. Mm. Um, and in those fields, we grow the majority of our, of our field crops. Whereas here on the farm, um, in these nine acres of, of uh, hilly and varied terrain here, we we see it more as a, yeah, like a walled garden, if you like. We've got spring water, um, and that's that's a great uh, a great advantage. Yeah. Off-site in those other football fields I was telling you about, we have to collect the water from the farm here from the spring uh, in a big uh, container on the back of a tractor. And we've got three taps on the back of the tank and I drive the tractor as slowly as I can and as straight as I can. And Jane stands behind and opens the taps. So the luxury here on the farm is that we've, we've just got water at our fingertips and we can use it whenever we want. In the book, there is the most lovely illustration of the layout of the farm and the adjacent or, you know, not far away fields. Um, and I will have a picture of that on the website This is clearly a working farm, and you sell to markets and cooks, and you clearly supply a great deal of your own food. The farm also includes these very well-integrated and tended, it seems, native areas, uh, little hedgerows and riparian corridors. But this is also a biodynamic farm. Let's get in a little bit to what does biodynamic mean and why did you and Jane choose to follow this method of farming, Harry? Uh, Biodynamics originated in 1924 from a series of lectures given by Rudolf Steiner, the great Austrian thinker. It really predates conscious organic farming, if you like. Farmers in Germany uh, had been asking Steiner to give some insight into agriculture. The cornerstone of biodynamics is really the series of lectures that he gave in Kobowitz in 1924 at Whitsun. There were eight lectures given over 10 days, and the, the farmers that were present got together and sort of created what was called the experimental circle. There have been all sorts of trials in subsequent years, um, but now in, it's being practiced in over 60 countries around the world. And really, it's organic farming uh, plus. Yeah. So it doesn't use any chemicals. It, it doesn't use anything that is 
not naturally created, as well as sound organic principles, it also looks beyond the earthly realm and the soil to influences that, that work onto plants from outside the earth. So the influence that the moon, um, that the planets, that, that the cosmos has on the growth and the form and the development of, and health of plants. There is an importance in trying to encourage the growth of a particular sort. Let's think of plants as a whole. Let's think of an archetypal plant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And if we think that plants are constantly being built up, not just out of the earthly forces that emanate from the soil, but the influence from the cosmos, then if we work with these uh, classical elements of earth, water, air and fire, Mm-hmm. apply these four elements to our archetypal plant and categorize a plant with four main organs. So earth would be the root of a plant, the water would be the leafy part and stem of a plant, air would be the flowering processes in a plant, and a fire or warmth would be the seed of a plant. So in those four parts, we have every category of, of a plant that we're trying to grow to eat. Mm-hmm. So if we want to grow a carrot, we will sow it when the moon is in a, an earth constellation and we will cultivate the soil around it a few weeks later when uh, the moon again is in, a, in an earth constellation. And ideally we'll harvest it if we want it to have really good keeping qualities. We'll, we'll harvest it when the moon is in an earth constellation as well. So it's a bit like... Um, putting things in boxes but actually as far as being a very busy grower a busy farmer it's a very useful timetable to work to so to speak Mm -hmm. because the moon is spending 27.3 or 27 and a half days um, orbiting around the earth and in those four week period it's passing through the 12 constellations of the zodiac Mm -hmm. so and it's spending two to four days within each constellation. So going back to these four classical elements that we're working with all the time, we see that the moon is passing for two or four days in front of an earth constellation or a water constellation or an air or a fire constellation. So basically wherever the moon is, the moon is our timetable, so to speak, Mm helping us to decide which crops to work on on a, on a specific day. And that's what we try to work to, to try and get the best results. So when we're, we're building our food not just out of the ground, but out of the very furthest influences that work into plants, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does. And so just to um, reiterate, you are, you are doing all of the active cultivation for a carrot when the moon is in an earth constellation because it is the earth, the root portion of the carrot that we are trying to cultivate, not the leaf or the flower or the seed in this case. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. And it's so funny, it, it sounds a little hokey, like you, you know, but at the same time, there is something that is so resonating with us as people who know that we go through these cycles, whether it's the circadian rhythm of a day Mm. or the monthly 28-day cycle of the moon or 
the seasonal cycle, they're very clearly different energies. And so to harness them in this way, you have seen for yourselves real results. Yeah, precisely. It, it does sound a bit mumbo jumbo, um, but we're still doing it 20 years later because mm -hmm. it, well, we would see it as dogma if we were still doing it, but we didn't see the results. Right. We, as human beings, are not as connected to the, the solar system. Uh, we, we have emancipated ourselves to these rhythms. Mm. Most of us sort of live very separated when you are actually surrounded by the natural processes that are taking place. And as a grower or a gardener and a farmer, you, you are amongst that every day. Mm -hmm. um, you develop appreciation of these very subtle differences that happen and what a huge effect you can have by your interaction at a, at a certain time with something and particularly with plants they like to be you know they really do benefit from you yeah, loving them mm -hmm. uh, nurturing them yeah i'm jennifer jewell and this is cultivating place may day is upon us and this week on cultivating place we're ringing in the may in conversation with jane scotter and harry astley two chefs who 21 years ago became biodynamic farmers on 15 acres in Herefordshire, England. Biodynamic farming is both a practice and a philosophy, and we'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Before the break, we began our very own May Day celebration in conversation with Jane Scotter and Harry Astley, two former chefs who became dedicated biodynamic farmers on 15 acres known as Fern Vero in Herefordshire, England. We're back after a break to hear more. Welcome. So Jane, the book, also titled Fern Vero, Your Farm Life and Biodynamics as a Whole System, these are all three intimately centered around the seasons, the energy, the light, the heat, and the moisture of each season. Can you describe for listeners a little bit in overview how you structured the four seasons of the book and the life forces of these seasons on the farm? Uh, normally, you would find that uh, a seasonal book wouldn't necessarily start with winter. Mm. Um, you know, it's the sort of most gloomy time. And it's not really how you start things off. But it's the beginning of the year for us, the mm. winter. We work with the soil um, in the winter. That's when it's at its most active. So then that leads into the spring um, when it warms up and the, 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 the new shoots, the leaves are starting to shoot out and there's um, the wateriness, mm -hmm. um, which is the water that is present in the leaves comes. So there we have water element and the, the connection with the leaf in the plant. Moving on to summer, that's um, all about the air and the plants and the flowers. Mm -hmm. So if you see the, the, how that flows together. And then on to autumn, which is the fire element, the fruiting process. So that is the time of fruit. It's proper seasonality, true seasonality. That's how we grow. We believe in plants growing outside, open to the elements, and being uh, watered by rainwater. Obviously, we have to do irrigation and things like that. Um, we'll 
produce the best tasting and the and the healthiest plants. We have got a greenhouse where we grow sort of salad leaves and things, and it's always this soft growth. Um, we we need that uh, to to protect them from the pests and things, so they look really beautiful on the plates at the restaurant that we supply spring. But they don't have quite the character of the leaves growing outside. Mm. They're stronger. Mm. They're more um, resilient and robust. We just did it really in a way how we approach it, how we feel about the land. We know when we're sitting inside in the winter that actually the soil is doing what it needs to do. Everything is happening underneath. It seemed a very natural way for us to do that. Um, the, the biodynamic calendar involves this very helpful structure with which to schedule what you're doing on the farm when. And I would love to have you describe a couple of them specifically, some of the preparations, the kind of rituals that you go through that involve both physical properties but also energetic mm-hmm. properties that you prepare for blessing and or inoculating the, the farm at different times. We have six compost preparations that we make out of various plants. There are two field sprays that uh, we have in our arsenal. Those are fertilizing sprays, if you like, the first of which is called horn manure. And the recipe for making this is a very ancient uh, farming trick. Uh, It sounds pretty odd. We take a whole lot of uh, cow horns that we've gathered over the years, and we gather up um, cow manure from uh, our female cows, those those of which that have had calves in the past, as they have uh, a sort of greater fertilizing property, if you like. So we gather up the poo um, and we stuff it inside the cow horns. We've got about 70 of these horns and we do this every single year um, in the late autumn time. So we've done all our major harvesting um, and uh, the ground is starting to cool down, but but still the remnants of all the summer sun are still in the soil. So we've gathered up our um, fresh cow manure, we've stuffed it into these cow horns, and then we dig a hole in the ground, uh, maybe two and a half feet deep, in a very fertile bit of ground, and we lay these horns down so that they're, the points are facing upwards, so that if any water that gathers over the winter won't rot the insides, and we put the soil back over them and uh, we put a couple of sticks either side of where we've made our hole and we leave them in the ground then come around may time we'll dig up these cow horns that have had the the winter forces working on them and we'll empty out the contents and the day that we put the fresh manure in it was yeah you could tell it was cow manure it's very smelly but when we take it out in the springtime, it smells very, very sweet and it's very black. It, it is very nicely composted cow manure. And we, we store this. And then the fertilizing spray that we make with this, we mix with uh, water. We've got a large wooden barrel that gathers some rainwater from one of the sheds. And we'll put maybe six of these horns full of cow manure, which is about... Yeah, it's a good handful, really, of this lovely black peaty-looking manure. Crumble it up, and for a whole hour, we stir it one way, building it up, building it up very, very strong, strong vortex. Mm -hmm. 
And once we've got a really good rhythm going and, and got it going fast, so there's a big sort of crater in the center and all the water pushes to the sides. And then we stop and change direction and the water gushes, uh, uh, makes a real chaotic noise. And, and then we start to build up another vortex in the other direction, round and round and round until that's going very strong. And then we change direction again and we do this for a whole hour. It's a good workout. Mm -hmm. um, and by the end of it, we've got this very powerful uh, fertilizing liquid um, that we then walk all around the farm, around all the fields uh, with a bucket in one hand and a, um, a brush in another hand. And we dip the brush into the bucket and just flick left and right as we walk around spraying these droplets of this very potent liquid everywhere we go. And these droplets fall into the ground. And this, you wonder, why are we doing this? Um, this is to enhance the effects of our manuring that we do anyway. So every spring and autumn, we, we apply a lot of well-rotted uh, cow manure and all the composted manure from our chickens and our ducks and our geese. We put that back onto our land. So this horn manure spray is to sort of help make that even more effective and kind of to make the soil a bit more receptive as a growing media to the influences that come from cosmic influences that work into the ground and into plants. Yeah. The most important thing that we're dealing with in all of these biodynamic preparations is the forces mm -hmm. as opposed to the substance. The, the point is that you're trying to allow these cosmic forces to penetrate into the earthly substance. Mm -hmm. So it's it's rather like a homeopathic remedy, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, I'm imagining given the quantities you're putting out, it's it's like a tincture or an inoculation. It's this this small amount of a very powerful, enlivened, energized preparation. Definitely. The timing of it is very, I want to say important. But if you think that you've put this uh, this uh, manure, which was a plant yesterday, wasn't it? The day before, it was plant substance. It was grass. It's then been digested. Then you're putting it into an animal receptacle that, it, that has been created from an animal. You're then burying it in the soil, which is having the winter work onto it and that, those organizing remineralizing processes that happen in the winter time when there's very little going on above but actually in the ground it's very very active it's it's mm -hmm. sort of recharging its battery so to speak it's undergoing a process and at the end of it you have a little substance that is highly highly fertile that has a very powerful effect when um, potentized with water and water is the stuff of life isn't it, it is the carrier of life and by spending an hour really energizing it and creating these vortices you have a very powerful uh, liquid and and as you're speaking you know i can see in my head this whole cycle of transformed energy I love the phrase somewhere in the book, Jane, that is along the lines of, in every end, there is a beginning. And your shared passion and connection for the land you live on are so apparent through the book. And I'd like to end with you describing 
the three kings preparation and and its meaning to the two of you it is the, it is a very meaningful time for us actually well we thought that we would just read the passage that we have in our book because it describes it so so well Three Kings Day. It's always on January the 6th, which is Epiphany. It's a celebration that encapsulates our approach to our work. From Christmas Eve to Epiphany, a time that used to be widely known as the 13 Holy Nights, we have a rest from the practical work outside, just feeding and tending to the animals. January the 6th marks the start of our endeavours for the new working year, a whole new growing cycle. On this day, we make the Three Kings preparation, developed by biodynamic farmer and researcher Hugo Erber. The Three Kings preparation is an offering to the elemental world and a blessing for the earth. In the morning, we begin in the kitchen by grinding gold, frankincense and myrrh to a fine powder using a pestle and mortar. These three sacred substances have been used through the ages as symbols to acknowledge the spiritual activity that weaves within the physical world. Gold symbolizes the wisdom of the past, frankincense the transience of the presence, and myrrh the victory of life over death. We take turns to mill the resins as we talk about the year ahead with excited anticipation. In the afternoon, we go out to stir the finely ground mixture in the barrel of water. It's our first real physical exertion after the excesses of good food, drink and company over the festive season. We sit well wrapped up, sensitive to the cold and wind. As we stir, we notice that the water seems to become lighter, warmer and thinner over the course of an hour and the highly diluted scent of the frankincense and myrrh is pleasing, combining the regal with the spices of Christmas. Over the year, we don't usually have as much time to walk the boundaries of the farm, but on this day, we set off together around these less familiar routes along the hedgerows and over the fences, crisscrossing the streams, ducking under the branches in the woodland. We notice everything, everything, every forgotten corner, reminding us of what needs to be done and where it needs our attention. We each carry a bucket and a hand brush and sprinkle the preparation as we go. All the while, we are wishing good things to manifest on the farm this coming year and feeling gratitude towards the elemental world. By identifying the physical boundaries of the land in our care, we are making out the stage on which the coming year will be played. The ceremonial mapping reaffirms our constantly evolving partnership with our farm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jane and Harry. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to us. Jane Scotter and Harry Astley are the founders, growers, cooks, and stewards behind Fern Vero, a biodynamic production farm in Herefordshire, England. Their recipes and account of life on their biodynamic farm is lovingly recorded in the book of the same name, Fern Vero, which was published by Quadrille in the United Kingdom in 2015. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. 
For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and jewelgarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.